0: Hi, I'm Jay from San Diego.
1: I'm Chase from Seattle. I'm Jamie from New York City.
0: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is produced independently and supported by listeners
1: like you and me. You should support the show like I did. It's easy. Just visit maximumfundorg slash donate.
2: I'm Jordan Morris. The influential punk band Red Cross was started in the late 70s by two brothers, neither of which were even old enough to drive. Their first gig was an opening slot for Black Flag, but the show wasn't in a punk club.
3: Eighth grade graduation party. I'm 11. He's 15. We're in this living room, you know, straight off like freaks and geeks or whatever. But, you know, so all these kids, you know, they're all, like, you know, with feathered hair and, like, feathered roachcliffe earrings and puka shells. So they're expecting you to play a fog hat cover.
2: And we played Who Are the Mystery Girls? A New York Dolls cover. It's Bullseye. This week, I sit in for Jesse Thorne and talk to Red Cross, the band that influenced genres from punk to grunge, about their influences, from Deep Purple to Ziggy Stardust. And I ask where they disappeared to for almost a decade. Plus, Matt Bronger turns a minor argument with a friend into a serious comedy career. And Todd Berry delivers good news. Some household chores might be worth skipping for 10 years. All this on Bullseye. Each week on the show, we like to get pop culture recommendations from some people who we think have exquisite taste. This week, we are talking to Nathan Rabin and Scott Tobias. They are editors and writers over at theavclub.com. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for for having us. us. Uh, Nathan, we'll start with you. Your pick this week, a new documentary, Queen of Versailles.
4: We saw Versailles, and we were inspired by the
5: French architecture.
6: I drew it on the back of an envelope on my way to Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, we looked out our window and we kind of copied the top three floors of the Paris Hotel. Probably should have used smaller envelopes because it turned out to be the largest home in America.
2: Tell us
1: a little bit about it. Well, The Queen of Versailles uh, was a big hit at Sundance. I believe it won the uh, directing award and it is... a. Uh, the- It would probably be uh, unfair to call it a guilty pleasure, but it is a spectacularly enjoyable documentary about this couple uh, named David and Jackie Siegel who are sort of the epitome of um, nouveau riche uh, David is I, I suppose the most successful person at um, timeshares uh, in the entire country that's kind of his business as his empire he is the mogul of timeshares does that still
2: uh, go on does, does timesharing still go on that strikes me as such a kind of late 80s practice
1: well funny that you mentioned that because that is what a lot of the drama is about is that he's extraordinarily, extraordinarily successful uh, for a long time he becomes a billionaire uh, he kind of has this this whole world that he kind of controls. So he decides uh, in an act of unbelievable hubris uh, that he will build the single largest uh, single-family home in the entire country, a kind of a palace for his a wife. Um, and what happens is the recession. And people aren't buying timeshares anymore. And he goes from being a billionaire uh, who controls this empire to being this guy who literally has to worry about keeping the lights on.
2: Nathan Rabin's pick this week, the documentary Queen of Versailles. Scott, let's move on to you. Your recommendations this week, uh, two Blu-rays of classic films from the 40s, Force of Evil and Body and Soul. Uh, tell us a little bit about them.
5: Okay, yeah, there are uh, two films that are by Abraham Polanski. He wrote... Uh, and got an Oscar nomination for Body and Soul, and he wrote and directed Force of Evil. And uh, Polanski was somebody who um, landed on the blacklist just a few years after these films were made. These films were made in 1947 and 1948, and he was, you know, he, he was uh, definitely a member of the Communist Party. was an unrepentant Marxist uh, throughout his entire life. And the films, when you watch them today, um, really are a reflection of his political point of view i mean they, they're 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 both noirs you know body and soul they both star john garfield they're both noirs mm-hmm. the, the central theme of both is just money as being this corruptive power
6: today's winner is 114 i had a dime on 113 didn't i yeah you did i nearly made 60 bucks except for that one little digit 600 to one you're
7: gonna play 776 tomorrow
6: no 823 this morning i nearly got hit by a car and you know what the last number the license was I figure if I live to it today, it's my lucky number. Am I right, Mr. Morse? If you don't get killed, it's a lucky day for anybody.
2: <laughs> and from what I understand, these movies were big inspirations to Martin Scorsese.
5: Yeah, they were. Force of Evil especially. The, the Blu-ray for Force of Evil has a, a Scorsese introduction. He's been stumping for this film. Uh, from from the beginning because it's another one of those movies it's it was it's 75 minutes long Um, I think it it was pretty not terribly well received in the US though 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 in Europe it was celebrated
2: well uh, yeah once again uh, Scott Tobias recommends Force of Evil and Body and Soul two new Blu-rays out now Uh, Nathan Rabin Scott Tobias thanks so much for being on Bullseye
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks.
2: You can find Nathan and Scott's writing and their podcast, Reasonable Discussions, over at theavclub.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jordan Morris, in for Jesse Thorne. My guests are Jeff and Steve McDonald, brothers and founding members of the punk band Red Cross. They obsessed over music growing up, and in 1978, when Jeff wasn't even driving age and Steve was only 11, they started their own band. They were in the midst of a burgeoning L.A. punk scene that had bands like X, The Germs, and Black Flag. While Red Cross never reached huge commercial success, they found a cult following and influenced the punk and grunge movements alike. Their new album, the first in 15 years, is called Researching the Blues. Let's hear a little bit of the title track from that album. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Keep bird
4: on the other side
2: Jeff and Steve, welcome to to uh, Bullseye. Oh, thank you.
3: Hi, thank you. Uh,
2: so yeah, so let's uh, let's talk about how the band started. Uh, kind of, I, I hear some accounts that the band started when you guys were like between 11 and 15 years old. Is that is that true? Yeah, um, like that's 14. exactly
0: true. I was 14 when we first okay, started
2: writing so, our tune.
3: Okay, so even more exactly true, because Jeff was exactly in between 11 and 15. <laughs> he was 14.
0: So um, I was 11. And we had these neighbors next door who used to go to Hollywood. They were teenagers, and they had. You know, they liked Alice Cooper, New York Dolls, and all these groups that were um, now, you know, history has kind of rewritten itself. And people think that, oh, everyone had access to those records. Those records were complete. It was like pornography, essentially. <laughs> and um, you couldn't find them in stores in the suburbs or anything. And so we got into that. And, and you, know, when you, you know, when you're a little kid, you occasionally um, slip things in the, in the cart and your parent, your mom might find it. What is this? Put it back. I did that with um, Iggy Pop's Raw Power. <laughs> Wow. I found it at Ralph's in Westchester, yeah. but I had to put it back. Well, but, it also because
3: there was contraband. Yeah, too. we would
0: have the eye for that, but I think when um, we were really into David Bowie very early on, we discovered Ziggy Stardust, and so I wanted to get all the records, um, all the earlier ones, and I remember going into Months City, which was a stereo shop that also stole, stole, sold records, and found a copy of Hunky Dory. And I remember this this woman who looked kind of like you know like a Stevie Nicks. Maybe my mind has rewritten her image, but she was like looking at the album cover and just like do you really want to know do you really want this have you ever heard this <laughs> you know, so... and I was like 11 cause we
3: also were into like Deep Purple we were into a lot of that like you <laughs> well, know well, liked you like it...
2: long
0: keyboard solos. yeah we were not... into like a lot of 70s arena rock too yeah. Black you know? Sabbath much more than Deep Purple I mean as Deep as long Purple it had, had like... it's moments as, 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 it, great. as
3: long as it had a thick chunky guitar sound we were open to it but
0: you had to deal with like 8 minute jams and that was that's when punk rock came along like the were first album, it was, it was like, oh my god! Looking at the vinyl, every song was like less than an inch thick. You know, so it <laughs> meant short, you know, running times, and it was there was no guitar solos. Yeah, I mean that it was, was kind of welcome.
2: You guys played some of your early shows with Black Flag. Yeah. Um, at the time, you guys were playing these shows. Were they? the black flag or were they just a band from the neighborhood well it was this, well
3: they weren't neither i mean they were it was the same f- four guys it was keith greg chuck and robo actually it wasn't even chuck cuz we have, we all knew chuck Tukowski as gary
0: yeah gary gary, gary but, mcdaniels gary mcdaniels but um, gary mcdaniels
3: uh, yeah, the first show, um, the technically the very first show, was at an 8th grade graduation party in Hawthorne, California.
2: <laughs> this not thrown by the school. For, no,
3: no, no, it was thrown by Lisa Stengel. Okay. Check it out. 8th grade graduation party. I'm 11, he's 15.
0: And it's in our neighborhood that, it, you know, we don't relate to any of these and it, people.
3: We're in this living room, you know, straight off of like freaks and geeks or whatever, mm-hmm. and uh
2: Shag carpeting, maybe. Oh, you know, my God. A lot of browns yeah. and oranges. Yeah, or,
3: like, boogie nights. Like, but, you know, so all these kids, you know, they're all, like, you know, with feathered hair and, like, ro- feathered roachcliffe, you know, earrings and puka shells. And they're, like, watching us, like, kind of stunned and, like, waiting for, like, you know, us to, you know. So they're expecting you to play a fog hat cover. <laughs>
2: Yeah, <laughs> so so these guys wanted to hear Cat. Maybe they expected they, you to bring out They wanted to hear Foghat, and we and we, and play we busted Jethro out. Tull.
3: Yeah, and we played. Who are the Mystery Girls?
0: They so. were booing us at right in our face. You suck! You suck! Very Bob Dylan, 1966. And I would say, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, well, um, you know, we're gonna play another song. It's like from Led Zeppelin, um, Black Sabbath bootleg, unreleased. Alright! They'd fall for it, boom, we'd play one of our like Annette's Got the Hits, one of our original songs. They'd get about 30 seconds into it. It's like, uh,
4: This ain't this seven! Nah. This ain't seven! This sucks! This sucks! This, sucks. this ain't seven! <laughs>
2: I'm Jordan Morris in for Jesse Thorne. My guests are Jeff and Steve McDonald who founded the punk band Red Cross as kids in the late 70s. The band's music was a touchstone for other musicians like Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth and Kurt Cobain. From their early album Born Innocent, here's an ode to Linda Blair. guys' first albums, like alongside, you know, a Germs album or a Circle Jerks album, like you guys do do a lot more kind of shredding and there is some kind of like jammy stuff in it.
0: Shredding? Were
2: you guys, were you guys kind of trying something different stylistically or was that, did that just come natural?
0: I'd like to answer this question because this is very much a part of the core of who Red Cross is. Yes. I think at a certain point... We realized, like, you know, punk rock was getting very uniform-oriented, formulaic, and really kind of... Regimented. Yeah, and you couldn't, you know, oh, you're a rock star, that was like, you know... The biggest insult, all that stuff, and then we Keith we,
3: Morris is still really like that's like that's literally like 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 a cross to a vampire. But anyway,
0: so let me let <laughs> rock star. We realize, oh wow, well there's some new cool music, but we also love the stuff we had grown up with: Beatles, Stones, and Kiss. And what well, do you want to see when you go to a show? You know, you want to you don't want your entrance blown, and you want this like excitement. And screw that, we want to be rock stars. We'd say it to their face, and wow. we would start creating. Uh, look on stage, we never paid attention to what was going on musically. We just did our own thing and just... and,
3: and we you know, and we kind of probably paid a, a lot of a lot of dues for that too you know we because we still get booked with bands like Circle jerks and um whoever Black Flag, but um, often we go on stage and the crowd would just be like, I kind of irate because we were kind of taunting them in a lot of ways. It was fun though it was like someone who's used to abuse.
2: After a break, Steve and Jeff from Red Cross talk about their lost decade.
3: Our Atlantic deal only lasted for like a year, and then we lost that deal, and then we had like a stigma attached to us as far as the industry was concerned in the United States. And you, it's kind of hard to, you know,
2: ga- regain the trust or the, the support. It's Bullseye from maximumfund.org and PRI, Public Radio International.
6: Bullseye is supported in part by Squarespace 6, a site for creating a blog or portfolio with over 100 new templates and fonts using a drag-and-drop interface and scalable designs, offering a 24-hour support team. More at squarespace.com bullseye. Hey, gang. The MaxFunCon East lineup is posted right now on our website, maxfuncon.com. Want to spend the weekend with an Olympic pentathlete? You know you do. She might even share some of her secrets of success. Like fencing really well. And how about stand-up comedy from Michael Ian Black? Yes, please. Want to take a class taught by Public Radio's Kurt Anderson? Uh Uh-huh. But there's one guy that you absolutely cannot miss. Talk show legend Dick Cavett. He'll be there, too. Max FunCon East is October 26th through the 28th in the Poconos. We'll have great sketch comedy from 10 West and 2 Fun Men, a whole slew of classes to take you through the weekend, and tons of other stuff. The lineup is too long to list here, so go to our website, maxfuncon.com, and check it out. It'll be a truly amazing time. Registration is still open at maxfuncon.com. It's Bullseye. I'm Jordan Morris, in for
2: Jesse Thorne. My guests, Jeff and Steve McDonald, are founding members of the band Red Cross. The band is rooted in punk rock, but they've drawn on everything from the Partridge family to the Beatles to Black Sabbath for inspiration. You guys had you know kind of kind of maybe a little a little hit uh, Annie's gone is that off third eye am i, I wrong guess about that
0: yeah in some circles it, it, I it, think it charted and like yeah. it was it on 120 college. minutes
2: okay. right, right which right. was a big deal to me at that age i mean if something was on 120 minutes it was automatically legit could it
4: ever be something that
3: The crazy thing is, like, we probably spent like, you know, three times the amount of our most recent record recording budget on that one video, or ten
2: times the amount, even. (laughs) Yeah, was there ever a point where you guys thought this is it? Like, this song will put us over the top? No, we had
3: no idea. It was there was no like really model for what what for our brand of. Underground music breaking into the mainstream at that point. And you know, we just we just knew that um
2: we were built for big stages. It was maybe a few years after that that you guys uh, maybe started your hiatus. I don't know if that's the if that's the proper term, but
0: um yeah. what
2: made you guys stop being Red Cross? Well, well, that
0: that's not true. When we did our first like major label album on Atlantic, we toured for that. We did a little bit of a hiatus, but then we turned we decided we wanted to be an international group. So mm. we essentially spent the 90s Abroad. I mean, we played in America, but we did not focus we on it. We uh, dragged
3: our ass up and down that clammy island known as the British Isles. <laughs> British for,
0: Isles on Europe the and entire, Japan na- and the entire, Australia.
3: Yeah, but the entire 90s, a lot, we got signed out of England. Because our Atlantic deal only lasted for like a year. Yeah. And then we lost that deal. And then we had like a stigma attached to us as far as the industry was concerned in the United States. And, uh, and we kind of lost the interest of the tastemakers on the underground. Because once you sort of like, you know go for it and if you and like very few people turn out to be Jane's Addiction or Guns N' Roses and actually that, that transition actually works and uh and you, it's kind of hard to you know get, regain the trust or the, the support was no, just
0: the timing was bad too cuz we did with atlantic we made our most subversive record out of our entire catalog yeah
3: like it was so bubblegum and sweet that it was actually subversive it At, had
0: nothing to do with trying to be um, bon jovi who who would have been the benchmark for someone going for a Commercial success at the time. Yeah. That wasn't a weird lull. It was like the very, very, very late 80s and then like the 91 Nirvana thing. It was pre
3: Nirvana. So. It was kind of just post Guns N' Roses. It was, it was kind weird. of hair weird. metal it pop was a, period. You know, by the time like 97, 98 rolled around, I was 30 years old mm-hmm. and I had been doing it for 20 years. Hmm. And um, 31, 20 years. And for me at least I just we lost the drummer at that time he like decided to wanted to get into film scoring or something and like I just I just couldn't imagine like putting the band back together again and like starting it from the ground up and like trying to you know reinvent ourselves when I realized that I had this is speaking for me I realized I had made sort of long-term career goal decisions before I had ever gone through, even gone through puberty.
0: Yeah, Jeff, how about you? What did you do in that hiatus time? Well, it's really strange because... That like ninety seven ish period. Um, those that, those tours, all those were most of them were out of the um, were in Europe and out of the country. So I was separated from my family a lot. And the one thing Red Cross is more than anything is a performance band. Rather, really, actually, performance artists. And you know, you give a hundred and ten percent, and it and it's you know, you're giving your soul to the audience. But it's true. And then doing it every night with for years and years and years, you just become depleted. And I had had a child. I didn't give birth to the child. My wife, Charlotte, <laughs> did. You but, didn't? But it was like, she was two at this point And I'm just like, ugh. So for me, it was never like, I want to not be in a band. I don't want to play music. But I just did stuff around the house, you know, raising a child and tinkering and, de- and doing little he to be stuff. You like,
3: want to be like the John Lennon he had read about in rock bios. And- well, that's not really <laughs> yeah.
0: true. I didn't... Become I didn't a ever... house
3: dad after Sean yeah, was born. Yeah, well, I was a
0: house dad and it just kind of did that stuff and for me, it was really odd because everyone else in the band did, you know, continue to work in music and play live and, and work with other artists and I never made a conscious decision not to play live. Right. But... Occasionally someone would ask me if I wanted to jam with them, and I would just say, oh, no. But I don't know why I said no. I guess I just kind of lost my nerve. So by the time we got back together for our first performance, it had been a decade of with me not not even stepping foot on a stage, which was odd because I'm, I'm kind of known as a performer.
2: It's Bullseye. I'm Jordan Morris in for Jesse Thorne. My guests, Jeff and Steve McDonald, founded the influential punk band Red Cross in the late 70s. They were pop music and culture obsessed from an early age. Jeff's first concert was the Beatles at age three, and put that obsession to good use in their music and live shows. Their new album is Researching the Blues. Yeah, I, I want to talk about the sound of this new record, uh, Researching the Blues. Um, you guys uh, talked about kind of getting away from that punk sound, and definitely in your kind of later music, you you do. It does have a lot of that bubblegum and that kind of glam influence. But when I listen to this record, a lot of that kind of punk energy still seems to be there. I, I'm thinking specifically of the song uh, Uglier, which really... You know, while maybe tempo wise isn't a punk song, just kind of that the energy of it really reminds me of that kind of early music.
0: I don't think we ever tried to get away from the punk thing. I mean, it's part of our foundation when I said Beatles and Stones. That's like, you know, punk rock, everything, it's all been a part of everything we've ever done. We just kind of have veered off in different directions about how we want a, a record to be. But um, that song was kind of written in, the, musically, was written in the style of kind of a, it's kind of a garage punk, like 60s garage punk type riff. But we didn't want it to sound exactly like that, but it, that's the basic. What the, music, what the music is, is like. And then um, I wrote that, most of that, then handed it over to Steve when we were um, recording, and he wrote the lyrics and finished it, sang it.
3: You know, I think a lot of our records would have actually kind of had this kind of finish to it, this kind of flavor, this aggressive guitar, um, this confident vocal, had we have the record-making skills then that we have now I think like a record like Third Eye, we always wanted it to have this kind of edge to it, but we weren't in control from a technical aspect of making the record. There was, I'm not I don't mean like from a corporate. There was no one like telling us we needed to we need to hit, kids, and then we worked with you know Desmond Child. But it, it was like we would literally be in rooms with engineers, and we'd be like, no, it's like the Beatles, but with who live at lead guitar sound. And they would just look at us like.
0: Huh? So when I worked with Peter Cetera, uh <laughs> they turn, like, ah. so so yeah. yeah, cool. turn
3: around and talk to us about. So you had
0: Peter Sutera's engineer. God, so funny. Yeah, they turn
3: around and talk to us about Sutera, and we just sit there with our mouth
0: like. Ah. Because all the bands I knew, you know, who'd make records, they would always complain like, "Like, oh, I hate the way the guitar sounds on my album. I told him that I wanted blah blah blah." It's always dealing with like the technical people and most musicians at the time. I think this new generation of Pro Tools and. And a digital age, everyone goes in the studio knowing more than,
3: but like back like a in the
0: generation d- before, but like
3: back in the day, you play raw power for some engineer or producer in the studio, and you're like, that's the sound, and they're gonna sit there and go, like, I can't have a record that sounds like that on my resume, on my on my
2: credits.
0: Oh yeah, they that, probably they that, still that's, would. That's
2: gonna kill my career. Yeah, God, I mean the thing about. Raw Power, the Iggy Pop song, is yeah. that it? It it's a mess. Like it no. sounds like a mess. No, it yeah. sounds like it was no. done by amateurs, Yeah, monkeys. But I cannot imagine listening to that song
3: any
0: in way. any other way. Mm-hmm. Like if you, well, even though it's been that, remixed, and I actually it, like both. It's mixes. actually the whole album. Raw Power is like that. It was. A, I think for a lot of musicians who discovered that record, it was just you know that was the beginning of. Lo-fi being at like an art form, mm-hmm. raw power, and the second near. I mean, the second Velvet Underground.
2: Um, so before we go, I would like to play uh, another track off this new album. Um, but instead of me picking it, I maybe wanted to ask you guys. Um, you were talking about kind of achieving this sound that is a combo between you know that studio pop polish and then that kind of garage rock aggression. Is there a particular song on the album that you think does that really well?
0: I don't, uh, meet Frankenstein. Uh, right. Let's try, um, uh, the, new the New Temptation.
3: The New Temptation.
2: Bullseye have been Jeff and Steve McDonald. They are the founding members of Red Cross, who are back with their first full length album in 15 years. It's called Researching the Blues. Uh, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bullseye, I'm Jordan Morris. It's easy to be annoyed with the people around you, right? So the one person you should be able to live with is yourself. But as Todd Berry tells it, living with yourself can be just as irritating.
8: A germaphobe. Also very lazy. It's a rough combination, lazy germaphobe. Because if the cleaning job's easy, like washing my hands, I do that compulsively like 500 times a day. But if it's more difficult, like mopping my floor... I've never done that. I was rationalized, I was hey, I've only been walking around the same floor for 10 years. How dirty can it be? It's not a cleaning emergency like that time I accidentally touched my pinky against my belt buckle. That's a walk out of a wedding where I was the best man. Paralyzing being a germaphobe. Lots of places are really paralyzing to me. Laundromats have these baskets on wheels. Some guy coming come in with a big bag of disgusting laundry, put it in the basket, move it into the washer. Now I'm supposed to take my clean laundry out of the dryer, put it in that exact same basket. So like I don't mind something having a dual purpose, but can't be like, hey, what's that big green box over there? Well, that's a dumpster, and we also use that to store soup. <laughs> I think that might be an either/or situation. But mm, 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 mm. germaphobe I have a short attention span. When I get movies on Netflix, I pick them almost exclusively by running time. I'm like, "Oh, I heard this is good. Oh, it ain't two and a half hours worth of again." <laughs> see what Jim Belushi can slam out in 78 minutes. It keeps it tight. <laughs> These movies have a wonderful economy of words. <laughs> Went to a therapist in a rich area of town here, and I, uh, after the session, I go, What do I owe? He goes, Oh, that'll be $400. And I just did that thing you do when you wander into the wrong furniture store. <laughs> How much is that couch? That's a twenty-seven thousand dollars. Oh, does that come in red? Yeah, I'm asking a fake follow-up question to give you the illusion I'm not mortified by what you just told me, and that I'm still in this conversation. But that's a good gig, Doc. Four hundred bucks an hour for being sort of nice to sad people. wanted to get a flu shot went into the nurse's room and she goes can I get your last name I go it's Barry she goes Barry Manilow <laughs> and I gave her a little fake laugh you know because she hasn't torn up the open mic circuit like I have <laughs> There was a little pause and she goes, So, what is your last name? I go, It really is Barry. <laughs> Believe it or not, I wasn't setting you up <laughs> for the worst joke I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Even if I had a contest where I only compared that joke to jokes that other nurses have told me, <laughs> you'd come in last.
2: Todd Berry is a veteran stand-up comic. His new album, Super Crazy, is out now. After a break, Matt Bronger becomes a stand-up
7: comic, kind of on a whim. A friend who actually got me started, I said something evidently funny, and he was like, oh, that's great. And he was a stand-up, and he was like, I'm going to use that. And I'm like, no, that's my joke. And he's like, you're not a comedian. I'm like, I am now. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public
2: Radio
6: International. Bullseye is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered. Online at ask.metafilter.com. You can follow Bullseye on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash bullseye with Jesse Thorne and click like. It's Bullseye. I'm Jordan Morris sitting in for Jesse
2: Thorne. My guest Matt Bronger is a stand-up comedian and actor who you might have caught on TV over the last few years. He was a cast member on Mad TV, he appeared on the late night circuit, and he's got a recurring role on the NBC sitcom Up All Night alongside Will Arnett and Christina Applegate. He's just released his second stand-up album and a DVD special called
7: Shovel Fighter. I am a master at saying the wrong thing to girls. Like, mwah, good. Like, black belt level, accidentally saying the wrong thing to girls. Like, I'll give you an example. A couple years ago, I used to live in Chicago, and I'm in a karaoke bar doing a stellar rendition of Oops, I Did It Again. Like, I nailed it. Like, I was Britney Spears. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, I was her. I was so good. Minus the python. And I get off stage... And this girl comes up to me, right? She's like, hey, that was really funny. Hi, I'm Sarah. Comes up to me, gives me rhythm. And I could have said any number of things to make her like me or be my friend or maybe more, the night was young. But instead, what my brain told my mouth to say, what I literally said to a girl was, thanks a lot. Where do you live? What the, wah, wah. What is the worst thing you can ever say to a girl? It's subtly awful. Look at how tall I am. In a crowded bar, I look like I'm trying to chew on girls' heads when I'm talking to them. Hello? Ah. Where do you live? Where do you live? I didn't say, oh, do you live around here, we neighbors? That would have been fine. No, I said, where do you live? Where exactly do you live? What's the address? I'm going to hang out in the closet without a shirt and a Viking helmet. Is that cool? Okay, No.
2: Matt Bronger, welcome to the show.
7: Hey, thanks, Jordan. Thanks, man.
2: You grew up in Portland, Oregon. Yes. Um, and I know Portland kind of these days has a reputation for being kind of a respite for hippies, and uh-huh. <laughs> that's that's kind of the reputation
7: it has. Sure. Uh, was that the
2: environment you grew up in?
7: Yeah. Well, I mean, now now it's really cool. Now you go and there's a thousand really cool restaurants, and uh, there's all these you know young people starting up these. You know, little companies like rent my bike for a half an hour and all this stuff. But like when I was a little kid, it was, uh, it, was it was very I was very hippieish. Um, you had to rent the bike for the whole hour, the as a kid. whole hour, and you had to pay in uh, fresh basil. <laughs> uh, no, like it, it's it's uh, it, it, it's it's changed, but it also hasn't. Yeah, it's it's very. It's one of those things that I actually forget about the hippie element because I. It's like growing up there, I was just like, oh, most places have this, and it's like it's if you go to most places, you'll be able to find a granola crunchy head shop, like somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's just way more in Portland, I think. So uh, tell me about. So you you moved to uh, Chicago after college mm-hmm. to start performing
2: right do you remember the first time you got up and did stand up proper
7: yes um i, I yeah I, I went with a friend uh who got me Who friend who actually got me started he the, and the way he got me started is he was one of those guys i waited tables with and you you know how you just riff around with friends mm-hmm. joke and i said something evidently funny and he was like oh that's great and he was a he was a stand-up, and he was like, "I'm going to use that," and I'm like, "No, that's my joke." And he's like, "You're not a comedian." And I'm like, "I am now." Like, just <laughs> so he wouldn't steal my joke, I started doing it. So I went to see him do a show, and it was like five bucks to get in. And he knew the he knew the the door guy, and then the the promoter, the MC. She comes out. She's like, "Oh, are you Matt?" And I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "Oh, I, Rob says you're really funny." I was like, "Oh, well, thanks." She's like, "Well, I'm missing a person. Do you want to go up?" And I was like, I don't know, I don't have anything prepared. She's like, Well, you wouldn't have to pay to get in, and you get like two free drinks. And I'm like, Well, then that sounds fine. So they like, <laughs> so I went in, and I just, I remember sitting at the bar with a napkin and just writing a routine, right? And I didn't, and I. Uh, just went up and and it went it went great. But Did you read directly from the napkin? No, 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 no. Okay. I just I just kept it in my pocket. But uh, I I went up and it went great. But it was like the audience was full of people that I waited tables with too. You know what I mean? So yeah, I kind of yeah. had a loaded uh, deck. So, but it, it it was good. And I I went from there. And it was funny because it's like in a lot of uh, community experiences like mine, when you have that first instance that's really good, and you're like, this is easy, and then the next five just suck. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, wait.
2: At what point did you move to L.A. and how close was this to you
7: getting cast on M.A.D. TV? Hoy, I moved to L.A. in 2003. I cast on uh, M.A.D. TV in 2008. Mm-hmm. 2008? Yeah, probably the beginning of 2008.
2: And, um, and did you get cast uh, on M.A.D. TV? I should say M.A.D. TV, the, um, the uh, semi-recently canceled uh, but very long-running sketch comedy show on Fox. Hmm. Did you find it as a stand-up? Did it? Does it go against your nature at all to work in that group environment of sketch comedy? Was that difficult at all?
7: No, no, because I I start, starting out in plays and mm-hmm. and and actually doing improv before I actually got into stand up, you mm-hmm. know, it's all teamwork. So, yeah, I mean, you 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 know, the the I think that the old improv uh a a of, of just um of not going for the joke and not being the ham yeah. because then you kind of you it it stops there. You kind of want to help build everything. I think mm-hmm. it's the same very similar with sketch comedy. I mean, be funny where you're supposed to be funny, but at the same time support the other people, listen, you know. So, yeah, it was it was just fun. I mean, the thing about stand up, I love it to death, but it is just you. And if, you know, you, you don't you don't get a break in that hour, hour and a half whatever you're doing on stage, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, it, it, I kind of just am one who barrels through it. But, like, yeah. you know, and always make sure to have fun at it. But, like, it is also fun to be on stage with someone or, you know, on a set with someone and kind of toss the ball over, you know, to have a back and forth and watch them shine, you mm-hmm. know. And, it, and it's a fun game to play with yourself where you're trying your damnedest not to laugh at something someone is just coming up with then or a new take on a line you've heard before. So, yeah, it's a good time. It's Bullseye.
2: I'm Jordan Morris in for Jesse Thorne. My guest, Matt Bronger, is a stand-up comedian and actor who you might know as the preppy neighbor dad, Gene, on the sitcom Up All Night. His new stand-up album and DVD is called Shovel Fighter. We're going to play a clip from your new album. It is called Panda Butler, and uh, I, I have some questions, R.E. Panda
7: Butler, after this. Okay. Asking the universe for something might work. So I'm going to try it right now. I'm going to try The Secret and see if it works, Okay. So I am going to throw out right now what I want from the universe and hope that I, that I get it. So here we go, okay? Panda butler! That's all I want. That's I want a panda that is also a butler. That's it. I want a panda that walks on his hind legs and often fails and tries to be my butler. Walks in while I'm watching TV with a tray of champagne flutes, which he will drop. (laughs) Granted, he will drop them, but he'll try. Walks in. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay, Clive. You're still my man. High five. Actually, any bear that won't kill me. That's all I want, right? I will rubberize my home. You can sh**. Wherever he wants, right? <laughs> just as long as he like. Can you imagine just sitting and watching TV with a bear that is also sitting, and his little belly is going up and down with his breathing, his bear belly. You can put stuff on it like a tray of cheese and crackers, and he occasionally just yells, and you love it because it feels like commentary, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're right, dude. Jersey Shore is the end of all civilization. <laughs>
6: High five.
7: So it seems like
2: your album uh has two kinds of jokes. The jokes fall into uh to one of two categories. Crazy imagination stories <laughs> like Panda Butler. Sure. And just really real blow for blow stories that actually happen to you i mean they really really have the quality of your funniest friend cracking you up in a bar oh thanks so it it, it seems like there there they're these two things these kind of crazy flights of fancy but then this stuff that is very real you know without even a lot of writing it's just recounting it D- does one of these come easier for
7: you yeah i mean definitely the stories for for sure it 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 wasn't any kind of planned thing that's just kind of how i don't know i guess how my mind skews because you know just the 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 little facts you can just dig out and 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 the way i mean i've always kind of been a storyteller you know ever since i was a a kid and um it's it's fun to be able to kind of embellish these stories to make them funnier and things you know um it's you know i'll draw the line at like like outright lying,
4: you know, but it's like <laughs>
7: I will, I will uh, not exaggerate, but amplify, you know, a story, right. so it's so it has more um, uh, 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 weight, you right. know, and, and it's it's much more of an enjoyable thing. So when you're hearing the story, it's like, oh, it's an event, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because there's there's nothing like like you bring up the party <clears throat> analogy. There's nothing like someone running in a room and going, "Holy crap, you guys! Did you guys hear what happened to Steven? Like what?" Oh, let me get him. Stephen comes in and tells a story, and it's just it's 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 a moment, you know. So
2: yeah, it seems like kind of the the benefit of having that be part of your act. Uh, and this is pure speculation on my part. Yeah. Pe- feel free to tell me that this is incorrect. <laughs> but it seems like this kind of material you can just work out with friends at a bar. You don't have to go to a million
7: open mics to to get this right is that is that well, something that you do you think that but it's like once you tell your friends a story you've tell you've told it right and i'm I'm sure i you know i could i could go around and make friends in bars and tell it but it's like there's nothing like being on stage to to get you better at being on stage and get you better at telling a story on stage you know
2: yeah I, i'm i'm interested in the process of making a stand-up album like how do you Figure out what material goes on the album and what you save for your shows?
7: Well, I mean, it's you just. You just put together the best hour you can. You know, you kind of sift sift through all your stuff, and 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 you go. At least in my case, you go around. You ask friends, hey, "Is there something I did that you liked?" Because I will just forget my bits. I have friends that have spreadsheets of all their jokes. I've never done that. Mostly, probably because I'm lazy, but also because I just don't like I don't like writing my stuff down. It's like uh, I could have a 20 minute joke that will have two words, you know. On a piece of paper that will make oh that's that joke panda butler panda butler for instance yes exactly that you know and uh, uh yeah you you just you you just put together as as much good stuff as you can to fit that hour and then and then then you get an order together in terms of what flows well into what you know so
2: yeah and is this is this a situation where your uh, your record company I guess in this case Comedy Central uh-huh. do they give you a deadline like we need the album by July 15th, or do you come to them and say, I'm ready to make an album?
7: Once you get a deal with them, I, I think it's, you kind of just ha- set the date with them. It's not like you get a letter that's like, have it done by this time or else, because they come and they they set up an engineer with you, they record it, you, you know, uh, they help promote it. In my case, I recorded at the um, Alberta Rose Theater in Northeast Portland, which is like three blocks away from where I grew up as a kid. When I was a kid, it was like an old rundown movie theater, and now it's like this really nice venue for... Let's say, like uh, the lead singer of some rock band wants to go just do an acoustic set. That's where he would go in Portland, basically. So it's kind of this cool, like intimate theater. It's maybe like 400 seats, and they came in and mic'd the whole theater, mic'd the audience uh, area, and then you know tested it out. So it's it's got this really cool sound. Uh, as well that I really like, but yeah,
2: drinking comes up uh, a lot on the album sure there are a lot of hilarious drinking stories mm-hmm. and Thanks. and you have a you have a bit that really really rang true for me about how different hangovers are in
7: your thirties yeah. versus your twenties for sure and that's what it comes down to, like how hangovers are so bad for you because you eat the worst food for you to heal your hangover <laughs> right. That's some sick irony when you think about it. Like, you you need something starchy or fatty or cheesy, you know, to heal yourself. And my thing is, I would get so drunk that my hangovers, I would get so drunk that I, like, it should be so hungover the next day that I couldn't decide on the cheesy, starchy, bad-for-me food because deciding makes the hurdy brain hurtier. <laughs> so I would just make up foodstuffs that don't exist and hope the waiter would just freestyle them up. With the kitchen. Like, you know how a baby doesn't know how to talk, but it knows it wants milk, so it goes, ladder, ladder, ladder. Same kind of thing. Like, I, the waiter would come over and be like, all right, what do you have? And I'm like, ah, just, oh, oh, God, just, uh, for a second. Uh, just, uh, just give me, I don't know. Just give me a, a, a plate of cheese, babies, and a hot boy. Yeah, whatever that is. I don't know what it is. Just make it. Just some cheese babies. Some babies made of cheese. Or some cheese buddies. Some cheese friends? Some cheese friends of mine. And a hot boy. I don't know what a hot boy, it's like a filo dough baby with hot dog veins. I don't know. Why are you making me make this up? My brain is on fire. No, come back, come back. And some ham dancers. Yeah. Whatever those are. I need them. Like just once I want the waiter to know exactly what I'm talking about, you know? Give me a plate of cheese, babies. Yeah, you want a gang or a tribe? A tribe. And And a hot boy. What do you want his mood to be like? Angry. No melancholy. Melancholy hot boy. Man, uh, well, Matt Bronger,
2: uh, we're plum out of time. Okay,
7: it's it's been a damn pleasure Thank talking to you. Thank you so much you. for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah,
2: uh, uh, Shovel Fighter. You can get uh, wherever finer records are, are sold. And if I am correct, there is actually a vinyl version of this. Comedy yes, album. I, I
7: will always put out my albums on vinyl. It's on white vinyl. Uh, Very so, collectible. Which, which I think, like a, a guy in the '70s would be like, it's it's the highest quality sound. Like, no, it's just white. That's all.
2: Every week on Bullseye, we close the show with a recommendation from our hosts. Today, that's me. Okay, well, I guess it's the outshot. For one glorious month in 1997, my family had HBO. My parents quickly canceled the premium cable channel when they realized the sorts of saucy, adults-only programming that happened after midnight. But that month was enough for me to get acquainted with Tenacious D, the greatest band on Earth.
4: Tenacious D!
2: Tenacious D was a late-night comedy show that followed the exploits of Jack Black and Kyle Gass. They played two overweight stoners named Jack Black and Kyle Gass, who just happened to be the world's greatest acoustic heavy metal duo. The show's plots were hilarious. The guys fought demons and found Bigfoot. But the really amazing part was the songs. They were hilarious, tonally perfect send-ups of rock and roll's conventions, from heavy metal's sexual bombast to punk's juvenile, non-specific hatred of authority. And the songs were funny. But where they succeeded was where most comedy music fails. They were really good songs. Kyle on lead guitar could write a truly tasty riff, and Jack Black can sing like really sing. The D released a self-titled album and starred in their own movie, The Pick of Destiny, which had its moments but was mainly not good. After the movie bombed, the band went away. This year, they sort of unexpectedly came back with a new album, The Rise of the Phoenix, and it's the best music they've ever made
4: of destiny was released it was a bomb and all the critics said that the d was done the sun had set and the chapter had closed but one thing no one thought about was the d would rise again just like the phoenix we will fucking Eyes again that's right, the phoenix rise, rise, rise again, yeah.
2: Rise is huge and begun, rocking and totally hilarious. Watched. One song that sticks out for me is the ballad of Hollywood Jack and the Rage Cage. Uh, let me back up. In case you didn't know, between their movie bombing and now, Jack Black became Jack Black, the huge, famous movie star and Kyle didn't. This song talks about how the resentment that grew between them tore the band apart, but the power of their friendship eventually brought them back together. It's funny and crazy and bombastic, but it's also honest.
4: No one respected him, they just rejected him. No one
2: This song really hit home for me. I turned 30 not too long ago, and I feel further away from some of my friends than I ever have in my life. Some of them have kids and houses and mortgages, and some of them still live in cramped apartments with three roommates. They're white-collar, blue-collar, starving artist, and everything in between. But the real friendships, especially those forged through creativity, endure. Jack might be a movie star And Kyle might not be But when they're the D They're the greatest band in the world
4: Hollywood Jack got a message That Cage was in trouble They sent Cage away Cause he had gone completely insane So Hollywood Jack jumped upon a jet plane And flew all that night through the rain To be with his friend See what remained of his brain That Hollywood Jack told the doctors You've got to retrieve him You've got the technology Use the techniques of your trade He grabbed the lapels And he screamed My God, you must save him Cause the Rage and I can't you see that we're one and the same?
2: And that's my outshot. Nothing no one could harm the rage Cage again. Nothing could
4: harm the rage cage again.
2: So that's it for this week's Bullseye. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer, Julia Smith. Our editor, Nick White. Our interns, Lindsay pavlis and Tom Pike. Our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally. Our theme music is Huddle Formation by The Go Team. Thanks to The Go Team and their label, Memphis Industries, for letting us use that. I'm Jordan Morris, and it's been a damn pleasure.
6: Bullseye is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter. Support for this program comes from this station and Public Radio International stations nationwide and is made possible in part by the PRI Program Fund, whose contributors include the Ford Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation.
5: PRI,
6: Public Radio International.